Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Wow. Wow. What an honor to be with you guys. Y'all are amazing. Hey, would you stay standing just for one moment? Um, I want to just honor your pastors because you have an incredible pastoral uh, leadership here at the church. And pastors Jeffrey and Amy, we've barely gotten to connect with them, but the little bit that we have, honestly, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by what God's doing in your church. I'm excited about the new campuses that are in his heart to launch this year. And I'm excited about the legacy that he was talking about, uh, just getting to talk with Pastor Gary and Pastor Janice right before coming out here, knowing that they were connected with my parents and that they've been at this for a long time. These days, I'm not impressed with fast growth. I'm, in, I'm impressed with longevity, just a long road of obedience, faithful, hard work. Can you give it up for your pastors? Come on. We honor you. Pastor Jeffrey and Amy, we honor you. Well, y'all can be seated. We love you. And I got my wife with me tonight. Pastor Ashley Hope Doherty's in the house. We just had our fourth baby just a month ago. She's with us tonight. Uh, baby Ellie. So we got four kids. Pray for us in Jesus' name. I am not trying to lose all of my hair right now, but I am feeling like every day little hairs turning gray or falling off, and I'm like, Lord, help me. If you got a Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, if you want to, you can shout when you get there. You can scream. I like to preach with a crowd that's participatory. Yes! Come on! In Tulsa, Oklahoma, we get rowdy. We get excited. Um, we're really into football. So we, our, our team is the OU Sooners. And uh, so we just, like, shout when we open up the first scripture, like it's a touchdown or the first down of the game. So Hebrews 11, are you there? There we go. Come on, Orlando, City of Life Church. Hebrews 11, verse 1, he says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. About what we do not see. And I want to preach a message to you tonight called More Than Meets the Eye. More Than Meets the Eye. Turn to someone next to you and say, There's more than meets the eye in me and in you. You ain't seen nothing yet. Lord, I pray that you speak to us tonight. Let us leave encouraged, refreshed, reminded, God, that you are with us. You're for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in this place and you're moving. And God, I ask you to just continue to flow. God, just like you did during worship, flow during this message. And God, help us to get something from your word. And God, just to be inspired, to dream with you, and to know, God, that you're in our dreams. And God, you want to fulfill the things, the desires you've placed in our hearts, God. We're all yours. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Well, I took my son Liam to coffee. Um, not, he didn't get coffee. He's like four years old. I drank coffee. I got him a blueberry muffin. We were at Starbucks, and um, we're sitting inside the coffee shop, and there was this big painting right next to us on the wall, and it was all these coffee beans. And he said, Daddy, what's that? I said, it's coffee. And he looked at my cup of coffee, and he looked at those beans. He said, that's not coffee. He said, that's coffee. I said, yes, but that, that eventually becomes coffee. That eventually becomes coffee. It doesn't look like coffee yet, 
but it's in, it's in seed form. It's in a process. He's looking at me. He's four years old. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, said, I said, those are coffee beans, and eventually they become the coffee that your daddy is drinking right now in front of you. Some of you right now are in a process, and God is developing you, and it doesn't look beautiful yet, but God says, stay in it. Stay faithful. I've got you in a process, and I'm molding you. I'm shaping you. Some of you are in seed form right now. There's more than meets the eye. There's more than meets the eye right now, even in your marriage. God says it might look like a bean, but I'm going to turn it into a latte in a few years. Come on, I'm going to make that cappuccino that you've been dreaming about. Things might look a little scary right now in your life. Even your job might feel a little frustrating. I remember this one time I, I tried out for um, our worship team and I, I really wanted to be on our worship team. I was in a band like Jeffrey, except for I wasn't as good of a singer as he was. And, um, you know, <laughs> thank you, Jeffrey. He's encouraging me right now. But I tried out for our youth band. My sister was the youth pastor. My dad was our senior pastor. And I thought, of course I'm going to get in. My sister's the, the, the youth worship leader. And um, so I try out. And afterwards they post, you know, who made the tryouts. And I'm looking for my name. I see all my friends' names. And I don't see my name. And I'm like getting really like insecure. My heart's beating really fast. I'm 16 years old. I go in there. I said, um, I think you made a mistake. <laughs> you know, like my confidence was really high. And she goes, no, I didn't make a mistake. I said, Ruthie, it's Paul. I'm your brother. She said, you're not ready. So I was like, I pulled out my cricket cell phone. I was like, dad, you need to fire Ruthie right now. And my dad was like, why? I said, because she rejected me from the youth worship. And he said, that's good. You need to be rejected. I said, you need to be rejected, Dad, you know. And <laughs> I get home, and he's like, let's talk about that. And um, he said, Paul, humiliation is good for you. I was like, no, it's not. He said, humiliation is preparation. And what I realized is humiliation is preparation for an elevation to an acceleration towards your destination where God wants to take you. Some of you right now, you look at something that looks so frustrating, and you're going, this is humiliating. This is frustrating. And God says, no, this is preparation. This is, this is what you've got to go through. There's a, there's a school that God enrolls anyone who wants to be a leader, and the school is brokenness. And it's humiliation, and it's rejection, and it's being faithful, and it's being planted, and it's refusing to get offended over petty little stuff and leave every time things don't go your way. So my dad said, I want you to go back to the youth group that you want to leave, and you're mad at your sister, and I want you to serve, and I want you to find out where the need is. Because oftentimes we want the stage, but the stage is not where the need is. The need is out in the lobby, serving those people. So I started volunteering as a bus captain. We started going down to uh, Skytook, Oklahoma, and we started picking up teenagers, middle schoolers, and I started mentoring these teenagers. Then the time came where they said, we're doing auditions again. And this happened four times. I tried out for our youth worship band four times. Never give up until it's time to give up. <laughs> until it's time to realize. Okay, so here's what happened. On the fourth time, right before the fourth tryout, this was over a, pa a period of a year and a half, and I had been serving as a greeter, serving as an usher, serving as a bus captain, and doing outreach. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm giving it all I got. My sister said, you know, Paul, you really need to work on humility. You got a lot of pride. So I came to that fourth audition. I said, I've been working on my humility, and I am the humblest guy I know. There's nobody more humble than me. She was like, get off the stage. 
She said, but I do have an opportunity for you to lead worship. I said, where? She said, our 9 a.m. children's church every Sunday morning. I want you to start serving. Because the key to seeing the thing that God's put in your heart really begins with the heart to serve. And she said, I want you to start serving. Serving in children's church. So I started showing up and serving. Some of you need to start serving in your house, serving in your marriage. You're wanting God to do something great. God says, I want you to get on your knees and start washing feet. But God, there's a Judas in my house. Go ahead and wash Judas's feet too. What? Listen, I tell you this. One of the greatest things that God has spoken to me is that it's in my serving that he produces such, a, like, such power comes from a servant's heart. God uses the weak things to confound the powerful. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And when you get weak, when you get low, when you start serving, when you start helping people around you, God says, I can use that. I can bless that. I can promote that. The path to promotion is humility. It's servanthood. It's brokenness. So I started serving in our children's church. And I reflect on those times because what I want to preach to you tonight is some of you are looking at something and you're going, I don't see how this is going to turn out for good. I don't see how this is going to help me in the next season. I don't see how God's going to use this current thing that I'm walking through for my good. And I want to tell you tonight that whatever you're looking at that might feel frustrating, that might feel mundane, that might feel routine, that might feel like, where is the life in this? Where's the excitement in this? God's saying, there's more than meets the eye. I'm working behind the scenes. There's hidden potential right where you're at. My dad used to take me and my brother and my sisters out to undeveloped land in Tulsa, Oklahoma, when we were really little. And he was dreaming about the church we were going to build because we were a mobile church for 20 plus years. We would rent out a, a place called the Maybe Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It seated 10,000 people. This was my dad's vision. He just rented out this massive, you know, the biggest auditorium in Tulsa and started doing church, and it just took off. Um, but we never had a building, and so my dad would take us to undeveloped land, and he would say, um, what do you see? And I'd say, I see grass. I see ants. I see trash. And he'd say, no, not what do you see out here. What do you see in here? Because you got to see it in here before you see it out there. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And I say, what do you see, Dad? And he would close his eyes and he would say, I see a church for the unchurched. I see a 4,000-seat auditorium, debt-free. I see computer labs for kids after school. I see basketball courts, baseball fields. I see us mentoring kids in North Tulsa, changing the crime rates over here. I see us partnering with the, the, the policemen and the firemen. I see us partnering with the mayor and changing our community. And I see a dream center over there. And I see a feeding the hungry area over there. And a clothing center over there. I can see it. And I was scratching my eyes and I was like, I don't see it. He says, it's because your eyes are open. Sometimes you got to close your eyes to really see. I wonder if you're looking at something with your eyes open and God's saying, you don't see it. You got to close your eyes to see what's in your son. You got to close your eyes to see what's in your wife. You got to close your eyes to see what's in your job. You got to close your eyes to see what's in your ministry. You got to close your eyes to see what's possible. You got to see it in here. And you know what my dad said? He said, it's only a matter of time before what's in here becomes a manifestation out there. Today, everything he said in 1992 has come to pass. We're a debt-free ministry. We have the auditorium. 
We built the Dream Center. We launched the camp. But it started on the inside. It started with the vision. And you got to have a vision even on the mundane days. you got to have it like Proverbs 29, 18 says, without a vision, people cast off restraint. Right now, Ash and I, we have four kids. It's wild. I'm like not getting any sleep. She's definitely not getting any sleep. I'm getting more sleep than she's getting. And uh, it's, it's crazy. How many of y'all know there's seasons that are just kind of crazy in your life, but you got to hold on to the vision? And so that's why we bring our kids with us. That's why we spend time with our sons, because I know there's something, there's more than meets the eye right now. Even when you're spending time with your kids, even when you're spending time, when you're working on your job, there's more than meets the eye. God wants to do something greater. The question is, can you see it? Can you see your potential? Can you see their potential? Can you see the potential God has for the thing that you're a part of right now? God wants your vision not just to affect you, but to affect the people that are around you. That was like the vision that God was stirring in my father and began to stir in me, is that this vision is bigger. Everybody say, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. I, I went to Nicaragua a few years ago, and we were going down the street. We were doing ministry. We were doing, uh, like, just evangelism on the streets, and we were partnering with people in a mixture of humanitarian work and a mixture of ministry. And we came to this coffee shop, and it was amazing coffee. And then they were selling shoes and purses and all kinds of stuff made of these burlap coffee bags. And so our whole team stopped and we all started buying them because they were really cool. They were better than Tom's shoes. They were, you know, just really cool purses and just right there in Nicaragua. And, and, we, and we asked the question because the name of the coffee shop was Beto's, Beto's Coffee Shop and Bistro. And they had all kinds of stuff. And I said, who's Beto? They said, Beto's in the back. So I went to the back and Beto was about... 75 years old, and he's back there. He was a cobbler. He was making shoes. He was making bags. And so I asked the person who was next to Beto, who spoke English, I said, what's Beto's story? They said, well, really, it started with two people who came from Texas to Nicaragua, and they had a vision to reach Nicaragua. And so while they were here, they started praying, Lord, what would we do to reach this part of Nicaragua? And they had this vision of starting a coffee shop. They didn't know where to begin, and they were just walking down the street, and there was this man who was drunk, and he started asking them for money and asking for more money, and they said, we don't have any money, and they said, but we do have a vision, a dream, and we could use your help if you know any of the locals, and they invited this drunk man named Beto into their hotel room, <laughs> and they started sharing the gospel with Beto, and they got Beto saved, and they asked Beto his story. At that time, he was in his late 50s. And he said, I lost my wife and I lost my kids because I'm an alcoholic and I was abusive and my wife ran from me and she took my kids and I haven't seen them in 20 years. He said, I'm estranged from my son, from my daughter, from my wife. And he got sober and he got saved and they said, Beto, we want you to help us. What do you do? He said, I'm a cobbler. I'm, I used to make shoes before I became an alcoholic. They were seeing the potential. There's more than meets the eye in Beto. There's more than meets the eye in your grandpa. There's more than meets the eye right now in your son and your daughter. You might think there's no potential there. God says, you don't see what I see. You don't know what I know. You're looking at a coffee bean, but I'm looking at what the future of that bean can do. You're looking at someone right now, and you're going, I don't see much there. And God says, you don't see. This is like David's dad. 
Like David's dad was walking down. He goes, you should pick Eliab. He's tall. He's strong. He's handsome. You should pick this brother or this son. You got any other sons? I guess there's that one out in the field. He's smelly. He's dirty. He's young. He's insecure. He's going through puberty. He's watching the sheep. He's always lugging his harp around and playing songs. And he's kind of, we don't really know about that kid. (laughs) But God doesn't look at what we look at. God doesn't measure leadership the way we measure it. God looks at the heart. That's the measuring stick for leadership in God's eye. That's the measuring stick for potential is he looks on the inside. He doesn't look at what man looks at. He says, oh, I see something. He's a man after my own heart. I see something. They saw something in Beto. What do you see right now in your life? So they pulled Beto in and they started inviting him to help them make coffee and then take the burlap bags and make shoes and purses. And after 15 years of working there, I said, so whatever happened with him and his wife and his kids, because this has been a 15-year process up until I met Beto that day. They said, well, his wife and his kids found out about what happened in his life. And they said, just two years ago, his whole family got reconciled. He got remarried to his wife. He got restored with his son and his daughter. See, we serve a God who knows how to make something out of nothing. We serve a God who knows how to turn all things around for your good. We serve a God who says there's more than meets the eye right now in the situation that you're looking at. What do you see? 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41 is a story really about this idea. 1 Kings chapter 18 is a story about Elijah. And he saw something before anyone else saw it. He could see it in his heart. He had just got done uh, uh, calling fire down from heaven. He had just got done doing this amazing like ministry service. And then we get to verse 41. This is after all of that. It had not rained in over three years. There was a famine in the land, but Elijah saw something. In verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. There's a sound of a heavy rain that's coming. Can you see it? Can you feel it? We sang it tonight. It's about to rain in Orlando like never before. It's about to rain in Justin's life like never before. It's about to rain in Pastor Gary and Janice's life like never before. There's going to be a rain of favor on City of Life Church. There's going to be a rain of blessings. There's going to be a rain of God's kindness, God's compassion. There's people who don't even like you that are going to bless you because the heavy rain is falling in your life. Family members are going to be restored. Marriages are going to be reconciled. Prodigal sons are going to come back home. I hear the sound of a heavy rain. Now, I'm from Oklahoma, and in Oklahoma, when it rains, it pours, and it thunders. And I'm friends with several Native Americans in Oklahoma that come to our church. And one of the things we understand from the culture of, of, of the Native Americans, especially in Oklahoma, is they knew when rain was coming. They could feel it. They could put their ear to the ground. They go, something's coming. Something's coming. And this is where Elijah was at. He could feel it. Something is about to happen in this place. 
There's about to be a revival in Israel. There's about to be a revival in America. There's about to be a revival in the United States of America. I'm tired of all the divisiveness. There's about to be a revival of unity in the churches across America. We can see it tonight. God has so much more. But everyone around couldn't see it. They said, what are you talking about? There's not even a cloud in the sky. What are you talking about, Elijah? What do you see? We don't see what you see. Have you ever been there before where you don't see what other people see? I know I've been there where people saw something in me that I didn't see. Like my dad, he saw potential in me. When he went into the hospital, it was one of the hardest things ever. I got a phone call from my mom 10 years ago this month. And she said, your dad's in the hospital. I said, who's he visiting? Who's he praying for? Because since 1981, when they started the church and it blew up and they started the Bible school and the Christian school and the Eastern Christmas productions. By the way, you guys do incredible productions here. Like what you're doing is amazing. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Come on, give yourselves a hand. What you're doing is incredible. Blink, the vanishing, come on. You guys are doing stuff no one else is doing. Except for our church. We're doing it too. We're in this together. I'm serious. I think we're the only churches that are on the edge of this. No, I'm serious. I was just preaching at um, another church that y'all would know of. If, if, you're, if you follow any church, like, I'll just say it. I was just at Elevation Church. And they said, they said, they said, um, they said something. They said, you know, we've never done productions like you guys do at Easter and Christmas or like City of Life Church. But we want to do that. We want to do that. Like, I, I really think you guys are onto something that the world is taking note of. And so just keep doing it. Keep doing it. But um, I got this phone call 10 years ago from my mom. And she said, come and see your daddy's in the hospital. And I said, who's he praying for? She said, no, no. He's in the hospital. I said, what happened? Did he get bit by a dog? You know, I, I, I was trying to figure it out. She said, no. Just come, Paul. So I get there, and my older brother John's there. My two older sisters, Ruthie and Sarah, are there. And um, right as I come into the hospital room, my wife and I, we were getting married that month. Our wedding was in October, just 10 years ago. And the doctor came in and said, we're sorry to inform you, your father has a, a very aggressive form of lymphoma cancer. And right when he said cancer, I just, I lost it. I started bawling. And I just, I said, what, what, why? He's been nothing but good. God, why is this happening? What is, what is going on, you know? And I'm like screaming, I'm crying. My mom's like, calm down. My dad's saying, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. His voice was already starting to change. It's gonna be okay. And within two months, he passed. But I remember during those two months in the hospital, I would just go up and he would ask me to massage his toes, which was so funny. But he just, it, it helped him while the chemo treatment was going on. And he'd say, go, go order us a box of Hungry Howie's pizza and massage my toes. I was like, I can do Hungry Howie's pizza all day. All right, so I'd be massaging his toes. And he'd say, Paul, I'm gonna need your help in the future. And I was like, I was honored that he even said that. How could I help Billy Joe Doherty? How could I help my dad? You're my hero, my pastor, my dad, my best friend, my role model, my mentor, the man that I want to be. 
And he said, I'm going to need your help. I want you to help me preach. I was like, Dad, I can't preach. Yes, you can, son. I've seen you preach in our college ministry. I said, Dad, I can't preach like you. He said, but I want you to. And I remember he had me preach while he was still alive the month before he passed. He said, I want you to preach in the big, big kid service, the big adult service. I was like, oh, snap. They're all twice my age or, you know, smarter than me. They went to school longer than I did. And the sermon I preached was, who's your daddy? Come on, who's your daddy? I got back to the hospital afterwards. I said, how was it? He said, who's your daddy? I said, you are. And he is. And um, he saw something in me. The only thing was, I had worked my whole life for free. When you're a pastor's kid, it's free labor for your parents. So all of us kids, we worked, we were volunteers for my parents 40 hours a week for free. And I graduated college and I finally got my job. And even though my dad saw something and believed in me, there was still a little bit of a trust factor that I was trying to develop with him because I said, Dad, I finally got a part-time job on staff now that I'm 23 years old. I'm finally working for you after graduating college and I'm getting paid seven bucks an hour. I said, can I get some keys? Because I was a janitor at our university and when you're a janitor, you get the whole ring of keys. So I had a ring of keys when I was at ORU working for my college. I said, Dad, I'm ready to get my keys to victory. I want my keys to victory. He said, no. <laughs> I said, but I'm your son, and I'm finally working on the staff. He said, you only need a key to your office. I said, Dad, come on. The janitors have more keys than me. He said, no, just take your son. I mean, take your son. Take your keys, son. Uh, okay. So I took it. Do you have your keys tonight? Can you just pull out your keys tonight in this house? And Could I borrow a set of keys if, if anyone will let me? Have your keys. I promise I'll give them back to you. Who's got a key? Let me, let me hold one of your keys here. Yeah, just jingle your keys. Somebody say, I got the keys. Come on. So my dad gave me one key <laughs> to my office. Everybody say, there's more than meets the eye. And so I had oftentimes had to call a security guard, a janitor, to let me into the building because I didn't have the keys to get into the building where I worked, where my dad was the pastor. And um, they would be like, why doesn't your dad give you, a, a, you know, more keys? I said, I don't know. Talk to him. <laughs> and so <laughs> I never had the keys, but I also felt that even emotionally that I didn't have the keys to certain things. And, um, and so like when my dad would sit and preach, I'd be like, nah, I can't preach. Or you could lead a staff meeting. Nah, I can't lead a staff. You could do this. No, you can do that. No, Pastor Gary could do that. Pastor Brian Houston, he, he's got the keys on leadership. I don't. Like, I, who, Paul, what are you talking? I can't talk on leadership. Other people have the keys. The janitors have the keys. Security guards have the keys. T.D. Jakes has the keys, but I don't have the keys. And then when he passed, I definitely didn't have the keys. And I felt like people would call me and they'd say, come pray for my family member in the hospital. And I'd say, I can't make it tonight. I'm sorry. And it wasn't because I didn't care. I cared. I cried for those people in the hospital. I just didn't think I had the keys to pray for them because my prayers didn't work the last time. And I was like, um, I can shout when Bishop Jakes preaches, but when I'm asked to pray for someone to be healed, I just, 
I need to call a security guard to unlock that door because I don't have it. And I don't have the key to raise funds for our church. So when my dad passed, 4,000 people left our church within a matter of a few years. Our finances went down. My mom took over the church in that first five years. And she was, she was struggling because here she was missing her husband. Now her kids have grown up. They're married. She's by herself at the house. She's trying to pastor a church that, that was so used to hearing a, a man who was so full of boldness and passion and vision speak. And here she is stepping into the pulpit. My mom is like, just in my opinion, she's the definition of perseverance. Like she is, you look up perseverance, you'll find Sharon Doherty right there. But she said, Paul, I need your help. I said, I'm the youngest in the family. Ask Sarah, ask her husband, Caleb, ask Ruthie, ask Adam, ask John, ask, ask one of the other assistant pastors that are dad's age. She said, no, I need you. And she said, there's something you need to know. And I said, what is it? She said, I'll tell you in a few years. I was like, what? <laughs> what the, what? Like, I can't handle when someone texts me and is like, let's meet later today. I'm like, oh, man, they're going to leave the church. Like, just tell me right now. Like, what? And you're going to tell me to wait for two years on this? She said, I'll tell you in two years. And I was like, okay. Um, she said, in the meantime, I just need your help. I said, okay. And she said, I want you to start preaching on Saturday nights, and I'll preach on Sundays, and I want you to start helping lead staff meetings. And she said, now that the finances have gone down and people have left, I need you to lay off some of our staff because we can't afford to keep them. At that time, I was 25, 24, and I was sitting across the table from staff members twice my age that raised me. And I remember just the pain of that season, just trying to get through it. And I just felt so stressed, so overwhelmed. And Ashley and I, we were newlyweds, and, and there was just so much pain and tension and stress and anxiety. And depression was knocking on the door of my heart. And this one night, I came to our church, and I called the security guard. It had been a year since my dad passed. And in fact, that night that I went to our church, my mom finally decided to tell me what she was going to make me wait for a few years on. She said, your dad saw you becoming the next pastor of this church. I said, why not one of the older siblings? And I knew in my heart I was called to pastor our church. I knew it. The night he passed, I felt God say, Serve your mom, serve the church, and get ready because you're going to lead these people. And I told my wife, she said, let's keep that between us because we know what happened to Joseph in the Bible. He got sold as a slave by his brothers. So I was like, I ain't telling nobody nothing about this. But that, that week, my mom confirmed it. I said, can I have the keys now to the church? She said, No. She said, in about three to four years, she said, your dad wanted, wanted me to step in for at least three to five years to, to help you get ready. But he saw something in you. Everybody say, there's more than meets the eye. There's more than meets the eye. So that night, I'm there. I'm in front of the door, and, and I'm, I'm discouraged by a lot of things. One, I'm discouraged by the fact that we built this big auditorium, and now thousands of people have left. So I'm like, we're never going to fill this auditorium up. Our best days are behind us. We'll never see greater days than we did when he was around. My, my language was negative. My thoughts were negative. My emotions were negative. My vision was negative. It was dark. 
And I called the security guard and he said, um, it's going to be at least an hour before I can get to the building. I'm locking up all the other buildings across the city because we have a dream center, a camp, and, and, and all of these things in this Bible school. And, and so I was like, okay. He said, you'll just have to wait, Paul. So I'm waiting, and then I start thinking, you know, I'm just going to break into our church. So I start trying to bang this glass window, and I'm, like, hurting my hand. And I'm like, man, I'm so weak, you know. So then I try to take my credit card and shimmy it through the crack of the door. Come on, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But I couldn't get in. And so then I had this thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this one key that I have. And I'm going to try to shove it into this door. And when I do, I'm going to just put my shoulder against it and see if it opens. And so I, I, I went to shove it into the keyhole, and it fit perfectly. And I was like, what in the world? What's going on here? And instead of shoving, I just turned the key, and it unlocked the door. And I was like, what just happened? Did God just change my key? No, I'm serious. I'd had this key for a few years, and I was like, what just happened? And um, I went across the hallway, and it put it in the choir room, and it unlocked that room. The drum closet. Nobody has keys to the drum closet. <laughs> unlocked the drum closet. And then I went to the main auditorium where I was the most intimidated to preach, most intimidated about the future of our church because I thought we're going to have to close this whole thing down. And I was like, Lord, please let it work. Please let it work. And it unlocked that door. And it dawned on me. I had the master key the whole time. I had, I had the master key. Wait a minute. Can I borrow that one more time? I had the master key the whole time. I had the master key to healing I had the master key to faith. I had the master key to leadership. I had the master key to be the husband God made me to be. I had the master key to be the daddy to my kids. I had the master key to lead our staff. I had the master key to overcome insecurity. And it dawned on me, we all got the master key. You got the master key. You have the master key. And here's what the master key is, Christ in me is the master key. Christ in you is the mystery of the ages. Not even the angels understand this. Not even the angels have this. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in me is the master key. Something changed in me that night. I looked at that room, and instead of thinking, how are we going to curtain off all of these seats, I started thinking, this room's not big enough for what God has in store. This is not even, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived what God has in store. You have the master key. Come on. I want the band to come out. But what I realized is the master key is only activated when I use it. It had been in my pocket the whole time. Some of you, it's been on your shelf for 10 years. And you've been staring at locked doors. You've been staring at locked doors trying to get free from an addiction. And you've tried all the other things. And God says, the master key is on your shelf. 
You've been trying to figure out how to multiply your business, how to maximize your finances, how to get out of debt, how to be free from certain things, how to get healed in certain things. God says, use the medicine, go see the doctor, but don't you forget your master key. Don't you forget that you have a key to victory. So I started digging into my word. I started preaching with more boldness. I started leading from a place of security. And I still battle insecurity. I still today have to overcome insecurities anytime I get up to preach. But then I remember, no, no, no. No, I got the key. I have the key. It's Christ. It's Christ. And I think Elijah understood this when he was facing a situation that looked hopeless. He said, no, 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 no. There's rain that's coming. I know no one else sees it, but I see it. The key is activated through your vision. You've got to see it. You've got to see it. You've got to see it in here. The key is activated through your language. You've got to say it. Elijah saw it and he said it. Everybody say, see it and say it. This is a season to say what God is speaking to you. God asked Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? He said, only you know. God says, prophesy to the dry bones. Prophesy over your kids. Prophesy over your future. Prophesy over your finances. Prophesy over the future of city of life. Prophesy life. We have the power of life and death in our words. But you've got to speak it. I've got to speak it. My wife and I came in an agreement a year ago on a big dream in our hearts. And we didn't know how it was going to happen. We just knew this was a dream in our hearts. And it's not enough to just keep it in your mind and keep it in your heart. you got to say it with your mouth. So we just started declaring. We started writing it on our offering envelopes. This is going to happen in Jesus' name. It hasn't happened yet, but we know it's going to happen. I'm not deterred any longer by the process of how long a coffee bean takes to become a latte. Now, now I, I know the destination. I know where we're headed. I know it's going to happen. There's things in my heart. I just know it. What I have to do is I've got to be determined to keep speaking it even when I don't see it. To keep stepping towards it. That's the third thing. You've got to step towards it. You've got to see it. You've got to say it. You've got to step towards it. So watch what Elijah does in 1 Kings 18. He says, I I hear the sound of rain. Somebody say, I hear the sound of rain. I lost my place in my Bible. It's okay. It's okay. It's the key. It's the key. Here we go. 1 Kings 18, verse, now let's, let's go to 42. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. If you want to get a bigger picture, you got to get higher. You got to get higher. You got to come. Some of us are, we're looking so close at certain things. You know, one of the cool things about the new iPhone, I don't have it. Who's got the new iPhone upgrade? Yeah, one person. Come on. That's probably what it is in our church. Maybe nobody. It has new features, new Zoom features. You could zoom out. One of the promotions for it said upgrade your vision and I was like whoa Apple is prophesying to us some of us were staring at something so close and God saying zoom out come up higher come up higher how do I come up higher it's through my praise and worship it's when I start to worship I start to change my perspective Lord help me to see what you see Because right now, all I see is hurt. All I see is an offense. All I see is confusion. All I see is a distraction. By the way, the devil doesn't have to destroy you if he can distract you. 
And I don't know about you, but we're in a distracted society right now. We're so distracted. Like some of you, it's been so hard to just focus in this sermon. And it's because the enemy's just distracting you. Sometimes you just need to turn off your phone and just lean into the presence of God. Like I didn't know I had the master key until I turned my phone off and started reading it or turned it on airplane mode and started recognizing what God was speaking to me. God wants us to lean in, to come up higher. But watch what happens. As he climbs up to Carmel, it says that he bends down to the ground. So you got to, it's got an oxymoron. You got to come higher, but then you got to get lower. This is how I fight my battles. So when I'm worshiping, I am higher, but I'm also lower. And I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. It says he put his face like this between his knees. He's, he's cutting out all distractions. He's praying. Private prayer precedes public power. Private prayer precedes public victory. Some of you are believing for a victory, and I'm telling you, it's going to happen, but you've got to pray into it. You've got to pray over your heart. You've got to pray over the situation. We underestimate the power of prayer. And when I'm praying, I'm stirring up vision. I'm getting in line with God. When I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm praying the perfect will of God. And then he says back to his servant, go and look towards the sea. Go and look towards the sea. So servant goes out there, looks. <laughs> and he comes back and he says, there's nothing, Elijah. There's nothing out there. And I love Elijah's persistence. Go back. Everybody say, go back. Go back. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit further. <laughs> hey, hey, good to see y'all. I uh, still don't see it. But I can feel a prophet like Zechariah saying, don't despise the day of small beginnings. It may not look big right now. The bank account may not look big right now. The, the, the turnaround in your life may not seem like a big deal to you. The key, there, there's not a hundred keys, it's just a little key. It might look small, but there's more to that little key than meets the eye. That, that little key didn't seem like a big deal to me, and then I realized it was the key to the magic kingdom. It was the key to what God had called me to do. God's saying, you're looking at something that seems small. Finally, the servant comes back and he says it. He goes, well, after seven times, I guess there is something small. There's something small out there. Don't get your hopes up. It's not a big deal. Don't get your hopes up, Mom. It's not like he's saved yet. He's only cut one cigarette down. He's still smoking a lie. He's still vaping. He's still doing that stuff. Oh, but I hear the sound of a heavy rain. My son's coming back to God. Don't get your hopes up. But the Lord loves to see the small clouds. We've got to learn to celebrate the progress. 
We got to stop waiting for, for the final product before we celebrate. We got we to gotta learn to celebrate the small clouds, the little keys. We got to celebrate those days where you're just showing up and you're leaning in and you're worshiping even when you're tired, even when you're weary. And God says, I love it. These are the days that God is celebrating right now. Everybody say, these are the days. These are the days. This is it. This is your life right here. And so Elijah, he says to him, he says, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, get down before the rain stops you. He felt it. He saw it. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and a heavy rain started falling. What's blocking your vision right now? What's blocking your vision? What's distracting you from seeing what God wants you to see? What's causing you to miss what's right in front of you? Some of you, you're looking at something and you're, you're battling just a spirit of discouragement that's blocking your vision. You're discouraged by the current progress and potential of your life. You're discouraged by some of the news that you just read, some of the things that you just heard about, the text messages you just got. You're discouraged. Can I tell you, when I found out I had the master key, things didn't automatically change in our church. I had to go back and still preach to empty seats. But you know what I did? I walked in there <laughs> that next week, and I said, hey, everybody in section C. And everyone who was in the, <laughs> the first 15 rows, they turned around. They're like, there's, there's not even anyone in section B, Paul. <laughs> who are you talking to? I said, everyone in section C, repeat after me. <laughs> so they're all looking at me like I'm crazy. You got to see it and say it when no one else sees it. No one else says it. I said, I want you to know. We're going to fill up section C. Can I tell you, this last week, section C in October was halfway full. Section B was full. The altar call was full. Hundreds of people were getting saved. Now, I already know I'm battling some people's perspectives that go, all he cares about is numbers. God cares about numbers. He put a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. God cares about people getting saved. But that's my story. I think God has a story for you. Because empty seats for me may be for you an empty seat at the, the dinner table. Someone who left your family. It could be some empty things in your bank account that you're believing to be filled up. It could be a job or a promotion you've been praying for. It could be a prayer that only you and God know about. No one else knows. It's the unspoken thing. God says you got to see it. And you got to say it. And you got to step towards it. Because today it's a reality. So I changed my confession because I was, I was saying some bad things. So I, I, if you want to stand up on your feet tonight, this is my closing part right here. I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to change our language. When you change the language, you change the environment. The Romans understood this. To change a culture, you have to change a language. So I said, we've been talking negative. I've been talking negative ever since my dad passed. I said, we're going to change the confession in here. And I had, been, I had been battling depression. I didn't tell our church this, but there was one night where Ashley and I got into a little disagreement. <laughs> and, um, and I was so sad, and I was missing my dad, and I just allowed all of the pain of life just to come down on me this one night. And I was walking by myself. And this was like years ago. But I was, I was on a bridge and it was really dark and the enemy was whispering, just jump, 
just jump, just end it. This was before things had changed in our church. Just throw it away. Just no one cares about you. And I remember just feeling so depressed. I was, it was like I was in a basement, but not one floor below. I was like five floors below where I should have been. Like anybody ever seen that movie Inception? Remember when he's like way down there? Like that's where I was mentally and emotionally. I was so unstable. I was so unhealthy. And yet I had the master key, but I was just like, I, sometimes you go through seasons where it's like, you're confident and then you're not confident. And you're, you're feeling good about something, then you're not feeling good about something. And there I was, and the enemy was trying to beat me up. But I decided that night I was going to change my confession. It was like there was a drip from heaven coming down. The Bible says, train your children up in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. I could feel like a raindrop from heaven of reminders of my parents teaching me scriptures as a kid and Sunday school and children's church and word explosion and victory conference and, and all the guest speakers that came and all the worship songs we sang. It was just hitting my head. It was leaking through the house down into the basement. And I said, no, no, no. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory and he's turning all things around for good and I pointed in the darkness and I said Satan you lose I refuse to jump I refuse to die I choose to live I'm getting out of this basement I choose to live my best days start today I'm getting in control of my emotions. I'm getting my mind back. I'm rebuking the devil out of my thoughts in Jesus' name. So I started getting our church to say this confession together. And the confession was like this. And I said, we're going to lift each other's hands up because a divided world needs a united church. So tonight, I'm going to ask you to lift each other's hands up. Lift each other's hands up on both sides. Don't worry, you can wash your hands after church. We all got germs. You don't know who on your row needs this message tonight. So by lifting their hand up, I'm telling you, it's like Moses. When, his hand, when he was tired, Aaron and her came and they just lifted his arms up. There's a man in the room tonight that needs his hands lifted up. There's a mom in the room tonight that needs her hands lifted up. And I want to tell you tonight, this is beautiful. If you could see what God sees, if you could see what, what the band sees right now, what we're seeing, this is beautiful. Say this with me. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days, our best days are right in front of us. And I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Come on. You this concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.